God's word together. We have two Old Testament scripture passages, once again, reminding you that we're looking at the Ten Commandments, uh, the exposition of the Ten Commandments in the Heidelberg Catechism. We have Exodus 20, which is that Ten Commandments given on Mount Sinai. And we're also going to be looking at Proverbs 5. In the New Testament, we have 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 through 20. So, as you're turning there, let's uh, pray that the Lord would bless the reading and preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would enlighten us by your spirit, that we may see how deep, how wide, how low, how high is the love for us that you have in Jesus Christ, our Lord, who redeemed us from sin and who has made us his own. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 20. Verse 1 through 17. P. Bible, page 118. Paying attention to the seventh commandment, which is verse 14. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Looking at Proverbs 5, now page 183. Oh. Proverbs 5, hold on. Nine hundred and ninety. Proverbs Proverbs five, nine hundred and ninety. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. 
lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, discipline, led astray by his own great folly. And then also 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 through 20. Page 1,777. Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We're also going to be looking at Lord's Day 41 in the back of your Heidelberg, or in your back of your Green Psalter hymnals, page 54. Lord's Day 41 of the Heidelberg Catechism. I'll read the questions and we can read the answers together with one voice. What is God's will for us in the seventh commandment? God condemns all unchastity. We should, therefore, thoroughly detest it and, married or single, live decent and chaste lives. Does God in this commandment forbid only such scandalous sins as adultery? We are temples of the Holy Spirit body and soul, and God wants both to be kept clean and holy. That is why he forbids everything which incites unchastity, whether it be actions, looks, talk, thoughts, or desires. That's the teaching of the catechism. Uh, Many of you probably know of, or at least have heard of, when you call him motivational speaker, Tony Robbins. 
is not Christian at all. It's sort of that positive thinking type, right? Well, in 2016, about 30 followers of the speaker, Tony Robbins, were burned while walking on hot coals in Dallas, Texas. Mr. Robbins probably should have heeded Solomon's warning who wrote, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? Proverbs 6, 27 through 28 comes right after the passage we read, Proverbs 5. You know, the metaphor that Solomon is using, he uses to depict the repercussions of the sin of adultery to his son, to his sons, to those who would learn wisdom, to the people who would learn wisdom. He ends the warning with these words. So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. What's Solomon saying? What did Tony Robbins not get when he told all of his followers to walk across hot burning coals? It's a real simple lesson. for all those pyros out there who like to set things on fire. I'm looking at you, Alex. If you play with fire, you get burned. Solomon is saying that sexual sin is like playing with fire and thinking you won't get burned. It's madness. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched. And we're talking about sexual sin in a much broader sense when we look at the seventh commandment. When the seventh commandment says, thou shalt not commit adultery, the Heidelberg Catechism understands that what it is commanding of us is not only to not do something, but also how to live chaste lives. A word that's probably more used in our context today in terms of Chase would be faithful and pure combination of those concepts. Faithfulness and purity. So we're going to talk about the seventh commandment tonight. And hopefully what you hear about sex and our sexuality is that it's not only fire and fire is dangerous... Because trust me, I went to enough youth group talks about sex when they're telling us to not do it, that that's the only message I got. Fire is dangerous, don't touch it. Well, what happens when you get married? We're going to talk about the proper place for fire. Because fire is also beautiful. Fire is warm. It brings warmth to us. Fire is great because you can toast marshmallows on it and make s'mores on it. But when the fire is in the fireplace, right, where it's supposed to be, it's a blessing for all who enjoy it. When you start a fire in your house outside the fireplace, 
And that's how the fire department gets called. So, our theme tonight is God calls us to glorify Him with our bodies. God calls us to glorify Him with our bodies. Just as I talked about this morning in creation, that creation shows us that the physical is good. The God who is a good God declares it good because He created it. And it's the same thing with our bodies. Physicality of our bodies is a good thing. It's broken now. It's uh, fallen. It's cursed. It's what Paul calls the flesh. The flesh is the sin that we still struggle with and against, but it's good. And we're called to glorify God with the goodness of our bodies. So, we have two points tonight. Why we glorify God with our bodies, and how we glorify God with our bodies. Look at this first point. Why we glorify God with our bodies. What is God's will for us in the seventh commandment? God condemns all unchastity. We should therefore thoroughly detest it and married or single live decent and chaste lives. I think um, that distinction, married or single, is important. in our culture, in our day and age, and we'll talk about that. The why of the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, the why of living chaste lives, pure lives, has to do with the reason we were created. Just like everything keeps going back to creation, right? We are made in the Imago Dei. That means... When we were created, we were made in the image of God. And it's so interesting, in fact, that um, when we think about the Imago Dei, we often think about the way in which we can interact or the way that we can communicate or the way that we can rationalize. We think about those immaterial aspects of being made in the image of God because we focus upon those things because God is a spirit and he does not have a body like a man. Yet, nonetheless, we are embodied people. We have body and soul, and so how do we reflect God in our bodies? Well, it is the fact that all of our outward deeds are expression of our inward condition. Since we're talking about Proverbs, one of the great Proverbs says, Guard your heart always, for it is the wellspring of life. And the meaning behind that is that all the things of man come from our hearts. The inward condition expresses itself in outward deeds. And so, um, adultery is not simply the act of 
sexual illicitness outside of marriage. Adultery is an act of an unbelieving heart. But the why of how we glorify God with our bodies is even greater and deeper than that. Exodus chapter 20 gives that command, you shall not commit adultery, right? And there is an element of this command which is then expressed in the purity code of Leviticus 18 that had a lot to do with the, um, the seed of the woman. The need to keep the people of Israel pure so that the coming of Jesus Christ would come about in the way that it's meant to come about. That he would be of the seed of David, the seed of Abraham, so on and so forth. And so they had to maintain their purity, ethnically speaking. They could not intermarry with other uh, tribes and other ethnicities of people so that there could be a purity of their ethnicity for the, uh, the seed of the woman coming into this world, Jesus Christ, who would be born of the Virgin Mary and who would be of the line of Adam, Abraham, David, so on and so forth, all the way to Jesus. And that's one element of the command of sexual purity and the commands around sexual purity in the people of Israel, but it's even deeper than that. Marriage is used as an analogy in the Old Testament to describe the relationship that God has with his chosen people. It's one you find in the book of Jeremiah. It's one you find in the book, elements of it in Isaiah. The one you find in the book and elements of it of Malachi. Of Hosea, the entire story of Hosea describes the marriage analogy, the marriage as a covenant between God and his people. And so when God says you shall not commit adultery, really what God is saying is you shall be faithful like I am faithful. The seventh commandment is, is a neighborly version of you shall have a, no other gods before me. And so the way we image God and his faithfulness, one of his communicable attributes, is in the context of our sexual purity and chasteness in marriage or outside of marriage. One of the, the great things said by Paul in, in his letter to Timothy was he had this short poem. And one of the things that he says about God is, we are faithless, you are faithful because you cannot deny yourself. And God is the faithful God. God is the God who never committed adultery against us as we committed adultery against him over and over and over again, going after other gods, going after other desires. Why we glorify God with our bodies has to do with imaging God and his faithfulness. 
But if I could take it even a step further, discussing the concept of marriage as an analogy for the relationship that God has with his people. We were created to worship God and to enjoy him forever. We were created with perfect communion and union with God. That's what we were created for. And it's actually marriage that images or typifies that relationship between God and his people, the union and communion that we have with his people. Which is why in Genesis chapter 1, when we hear of the first marriage between Adam and Eve, and we read those words, the two shall become one flesh, But that is then picked up by Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 when Paul gives instructions to wives and to husbands about how they are to reflect the great picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the groom who came to save his bride and to cleanse her and to purify her and to prepare her for the wedding day. That that is actually what we're showing forth in our marriages if we're married. And that if we aren't married, we are showing forth in our union and our communion with Jesus Christ, which awaits its culmination and and fruition and and fullness, the wedding feast of the Lamb. And, And Paul says one of the most glorious, mysterious things to be said in Scripture, he says, this is a mystery, but this is why it says, The two shall become one flesh. And he's talking about Christ and his church. He's not talking about a man and a woman. He's saying ultimately marriage points toward the union that Christ has with his people. And that's why the faithfulness that we are called to is not only a physical faithfulness, right, outward, but it is a spiritual, inward faithfulness. Remember, in, in Christ's preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, you had, heard it, you had heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, Anyone who looks at a person with lust in their eyes has already committed adultery with them in their heart. See, everyone in Jesus' time thought they were off for the seventh commandment. They hadn't committed adultery. They they hadn't had, had sex outside of their marriage bond. Yet they were looking with lust. We all have committed the sin of adultery, if we're honest. And why we glorify God with our bodies is because God created our bodies to glorify Him. And faithfulness, physically and spiritually, glorifies Him. 
brings glory to him. Because that is the way of life. And Proverbs 5 tells us to pursue sexual sin thinking that you will find fulfillment and fullness and something God has not given us. Solomon says, Her feet go down to the death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. If at the time of the Ten Commandments when Moses proclaimed, you shall not commit adultery, at the time of Jesus' the Sermon on the Mount when he said, but I tell you, even if you look upon a woman with lust, you've committed adultery with her in your heart, were hard times for us to live chaste lives. Then the day and age we live in is like trying to walk around when the ground is lava to extend upon Solomon's analogy. We may not even want it. You have this thrust upon us. Where do we find entertainment that's not chock full of inappropriate sexual activity? You can't even drive down 394 without seeing billboards. Now we have magical little devices that are connected to the internet and can go wherever we want to go. Nonetheless, God has promised us that there is no temptation that has taken man that he will not give us a way out of. And he's called us to glorify him in our bodies because glorifying God in our bodies proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ that we were created for him and not for our own pleasure. All right, second point, how? How do we glorify God in our bodies? I'm going to talk a little bit more about Proverbs chapter 5 and then turn to 1 Corinthians 6 when I discuss this. Uh, question 108 said, What is God's will for us in the seventh commandment? God condemns all in chastity. We should therefore thoroughly detest it, married or single, live decent and chaste lives. Question 109 says, does God in this commandment forbid only such scandalous sins as adultery? And then we're told we are temples of the Holy Spirit. That's a good reason why. And God wants both to be kept clean and holy. This is why he forbids everything which incites. Incites means we're going deeper than outward actions, right? To the things that entice or incite or cause temptation, actions, talk, 
looks thoughts or desires the way we glorify God with our bodies is by being satisfied in him being fulfilled in God, knowing that Jesus is enough. In chapter 5 of Proverbs, Solomon gives the warning to stay away from, right? Did not even go near such kinds of sins. And we can apply this to our day and age and say, um, okay, you're not walking by an adulterous woman's house at night, but you're, you're also not driving down a certain road because you know there's something there that could entice you. You're not getting on your computer at certain times at night because you know that's a difficult time for you. You're putting up uh, filtering software or blocking software. You're, 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 you're guarding yourself, protecting yourself from these things. You're not even putting yourself in a situation where temptation could take you. But there's also another way in which and God calls us to live chaste lives. This, uh, this is a teaching that Paul takes into the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 7. He tells uh, of a number of things but one is that if you're married, your wife's, uh, if you're married, your bodies no longer belong to yourself, but they belong to your spouse, and that you should not keep each other, keep from each other sexually unless for a time of fasting and prayer to, uh, to keep away temptation. Don't get mad at me, that's what the Bible said, okay? And this is the same thing that Solomon talks about in Proverbs chapter 5. He says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow on the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? Why say ultimately... The way we live chaste lives is being satisfied in Him is because even inside of marriage, which I would say is the, the fireplace, right? Where we can enjoy each other sexually. That is not meant to be our ultimate satisfaction, our ultimate fulfillment. If we are looking... For in our spouse, only what God can give, we will never be satisfied. We will always be disappointed. But if we know that the ultimate truth, the ultimate fulfillment of the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, is spiritual faithfulness to God, and one day our redeemed bodies will be forever eternal bodies 
without sin that we shall be in June, joined in union and communion with God and with Jesus Christ throughout all eternity than married or single. We know what we're called to. Satisfaction in Him. And when we protect our marriage relationship and are faithful sexually within that marriage relationship, all we are picturing in that is the pursuit of faithfulness with God. Forsaking all others for Him. Let's talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul is talking to a church in Corinth. Corinth was a church in which there were uh, a typical pagan practices. This is a, a part of everyday common life that you would go into these um, pagan temples and pay the temple prostitute for sex, and that was part of your, your, your worship. And these Corinthians, these new Christians, had not understood how this is improper for the life of a Christian. And so Paul instructs them. He says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will destroy them both. And here on the second part of verse 13, it talks about what I mentioned, the why, right? <clears throat> the why of uh, honoring, glorifying God with their bodies. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. The body is meant for the Lord. You see what he's saying here? He's not saying the body is not meant for sexual immorality. The body is meant for your wife. Or for your husband, no. He says the body is meant for the Lord. That's its ultimate purpose. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. And he will raise us also. So, he ties this to the resurrection. Not only Christ's resurrection, but our resurrection. Our resurrection bodies. The ultimate telos of our human existence as body and soul, that we will be united body and soul in our resurrection bodies. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? What does this mean? What I talked about, the union between Christ and his church is a union that is the ultimate fulfillment of what the marriage union represents. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with the prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. You're, not, you're united with the Lord. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And what you do in your body matters. So Paul instructs him, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, 
whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Honoring God with our body means that we understand that we are united to Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit that indwells us. And how we glorify God with our bodies is living out the expression of gratitude and obedience to the Ten Commandments. So living a holy and chaste life is a way in which we express our gratitude to God for the salvation we've received in Jesus Christ. Living, as what Paul says, living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are united with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, body and soul, and God wants both to be kept clean and holy. It doesn't mean that when we sin, oh, it's over. It means that we're always in the pursuit. We're always on a journey of faithfulness to God continuously repenting of the wrongs we've done and growing, growing in our faithfulness to Him. We've committed adultery against God over and over again, and He he has never left us. He's never forsaken us. And Christ came and died on the cross for our sins and is washing us with the water of the word so that on that day, in the wedding supper of the Lamb, we will be presented before him clothed in white. That is what we're striving after, whether we're married or single. To be satisfied in him. To know that our bodies are for the Lord. You know that Christ purchased us. And that we are not our own, but belong to Him. And there's no one else we'd rather belong to. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We know that you call us to glorify you with our bodies, and we know we often fall short. We are not faithful to you as we should be. But we pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help us to grow in our faithfulness. Help us to live chaste lives before you. That we, Lord, would be those who are 
desiring purity in our singleness, in our marriages, in our hearts, in both our body and soul toward you, our Savior. For we know, Lord, that if we have died with Christ, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I hope you guys have a great week. I'll leave you with the parting benediction. If you could stand for the parting benediction. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. Have a great week.